Welcome to Feeding the Flock and our expositions through the book of Ephesians. We're currently in chapter 5 at verse 1. Hi there, I'm Glendale Tony. I'm glad you joined me today for this Bible study. Let's begin reading at verse 1 of chapter 5 of the book of Ephesians, where Paul writes this. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you, and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But immorality, or any impurity, or greed must not be named among you, as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk, or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty, that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. So this first paragraph in chapter 5 begins the... Uh, section that we've designated as the loving walk and that will go uh, as a section it will go all the way through verse 14. Uh, it's all a part of a larger uh, portion of this uh, middle section of Ephesians uh, called our life in the world and this has to do with our walk, our behavior, our conduct in the world, the way we pattern our life or the way that we conduct ourselves in this world uh, as followers of Christ. And of course, uh, that began, began in chapter 4 and verse 1, and it, it began with the uh, section called the worthy walk, and that was the first 16 verses of chapter 4. And then in uh, the last part of chapter 4 was our uh, the different walk, and that's uh, verses 17 through 32. Now we're talking about the loving walk, and later in uh, the middle of uh, chapter 5 and verse 15, we'll talk about the wise walk, which will actually take us all the way through verse 9 of chapter 6. Now this loving walk that we have begun here in these uh, this uh, first uh, paragraph or so uh, can uh, be looked at in terms of being children of love and not disobedience. And that's those first six verses which we read uh, in this episode. Now next episode we'll talk about the children of light, not darkness. So we'll get to that uh, later on. But right now, let's focus in on this because he begins with uh, this idea, therefore be imitators of God. Because uh, again, the uh, the writing of the book of Ephesians isn't just uh, uh, set in just fragments, as we have uh, outlined, uh, as, as if somehow we can just lift things out of its context and gate its full or its rich meaning or the flow of thought, uh, because uh, the therefore means that he is building upon something else that he's already talked about in chapter four, and really uh, he's already talked about uh, much earlier than that when he when he even began with the introduction by saying that uh, we are strangers and aliens on this earth. We now have a new citizenship. We have a uh, a shared citizenship with the saints of all eternity, and uh, 
we also have a double uh, citizenship or dual citizenship, if you want to look at it that way. And that is we have an earthly one, but we also have a heavenly one. And that is our true identity. And so because of that, we uh, in, in many ways must, uh, must look at ourselves as, as um, uh, not uh, at home here, even though home seems to be the most familiar place. We're not familiar with the heavenly places or with heaven or the presence of God or or the right hand of the throne of God. We've not seen there. We've not been there. Uh, but uh, but uh, we are here as strangers and aliens because uh, we are now conducting ourselves according to the pattern of a new compass or a new calibration or a new set of uh, standards, if you want to call it that, uh, a new perspective, and that is the perspective of being in Christ. And so uh, a part of that, part of that includes uh, the idea, like in uh, chapter 4, verse 25, we are members of one another. It's more than just having our names listed on a church roll uh, or members in a church organization uh, on earth. We, uh, because we are in Christ, we are members of one another. There is a, a spiritual, organic connection we have with fellow believers who are true believers. And uh, that's the way he, uh, um, uh, he was talking about it in terms of uh, the last paragraph of chapter 4. In verse 27 of chapter 4, he talks about do not give the devil an opportunity. In uh, verse 28, he talks about the fact that we are to share with one who has need. And that means not only uh, financially sharing, but also verse 29, give grace to those who hear. Or uh, that means our speech should give the, the power of grace to someone else, uh, not uh, diminish their character or diminish their standing or diminish their reputation or diminish their ability to grow in Christ. But rather, we are to promote grace, not legalism and not judging each other with some sort of uh, list of standards, um, but rather giving grace. And uh, verse 28, of course, includes giving money from time to time. And then uh, verse 30 talks about uh, uh, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Why? Because we are now inhabited by the same person of the triune God that inhabited the uh, temple, the holy of holies in the temple. And before that, in the tabernacle, it revealed glory of the presence of God. That was the Holy Spirit on earth. And now we possess him, or he possesses us, and that is he dwells within us as his home. And uh, so that we have a home in heaven, he has a home in us. He has a temple in us. We are it. It is not based on a structure or a tabernacle or a tent. It is or any sort of physical material um, architecture. It's based upon us as human beings who've trusted Jesus as our Savior, that he paid the penalty for our sin, and he is our sacrifice, 
and therefore the Holy Spirit takes up residence in us. That makes us unique. That makes us a, a completely different kind of person. And yes, there are many things that that perhaps we find connection with because of uh, we haven't changed locations and we are still in this current physical body and we're connected to uh, our ancient Adam, you might say, and Eve uh, through this physical body, and we are fallen in that regard. We, our bodies currently are not designed to, uh, to withstand heaven and withstand heaven's glory and withstand eternity, but our bodies are still here, and we are in them so far until uh, the Lord calls us home. But uh, that, that creates within us a, a certain kind of identity that's completely different than the world, and uh, our lifestyle, therefore, our behavior, our walk should change, and part of that change means we are a part of this family. It says, therefore, be imitators of God, and there are many different characteristics that uh, that we become imitators. By the way, that word in the Greek, uh, if I were to pronounce it, it would sound like mimeo, and some of you remember mimeograph machines that were the original uh, uh, copy machines, and it refers to mimic. We are to mimic God's character. We don't become God's we don't increase in some sort of graduation ceremonies to deities. We don't become that. But uh, it does mean that we begin to reflect his character as beloved children. After all, if he is our father, the Holy Spirit has placed us into his family, then Jesus is our older brother, and we are brothers and sisters with each other, and that means we begin to act and behave and look like our Father, our Father who is in heaven, and uh, that means we reflect his forgiveness according to uh, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 32, Um, also according to uh, Matthew chapter 5 48, uh, our uh, our maturity or our uh, our holiness is to reflect his character. First Peter chapter one verses uh, uh, fourteen and sixteen uh, says that we are to be holy. That means we are to be set apart. Uh, uh, for God's purposes that he's placed upon us and upon our calling and upon our gifts and upon our identity. And uh, we are to reflect his mercy, uh, according to Luke chapter 6, verse 36. And according to uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, uh, we are to reflect Christ's suffering. We are to suffer along with Christ uh, and under persecution or, or at... Uh, Uh, different other occasions, we learn what it means to suffer for his name's sake. And so, so now we, we reflect that character because of all of these various aspects that we begin to reflect. We become that because we're his children. We're as beloved children. That means we are the sons and daughters of his love. He gave himself According to John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he valued you uh, so much that he gave his only son, his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And so that is part of what it means to become beloved. We are beloved because Jesus placed a value upon us, and that value included his own sacrifice. And so since that is the primary focus of 
what we are to mimic, then that's where Paul starts in chapter five and walk in love. Our behavior should be one in which we value those around us as the objects of God's love. And uh, we see ourselves as the object of God's love. We share in it together as his family. And so we conduct ourselves according to the pattern of that value, according to what we place in each other. Uh, Jude verse 21a says, keep yourselves in the love of God. That means that is where we are to walk. And uh, just as he loved us, we walk in his love. And um, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 14, let all that you do be done in love. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8 says, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another. And um, then in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter uh, 13, verse 6, it's interesting that there is a certain balance in Scripture. It says, uh, uh, love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. That's part of loving one another. And it doesn't mean that that love just goes out and uh, and says, uh, it, what you do doesn't matter to me. What, uh, what you do does matter because you matter. And therefore, if you are conducting yourself believing lies or believing falsehoods or believing things that just aren't true, then, uh, then it is not loving for me to embrace that thing that is against the truth, uh, embrace that behavior that is acting according to the lies that you're believing. And so it is the most loving thing to actually present to you that you are living according to a lie or according to a falsehood, and you should be living by the truth. That is the most loving thing I can do. So we'll be back right after this brief uh, musical interlude. So we are still in verse 1 and 2 of chapter 5 of the book of Ephesians. And uh, we just talked about the fact that we walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us. What's interesting is he changes those pronouns, if you noticed. Uh, he, but, but what uh, Paul seems to be getting at here is that you have been loved, you have been valued in this regard that the Son of God gave himself on your behalf. He substituted himself for the wrath that you rightly deserved, and he took it upon his own shoulders. He, uh, the, the Father placed our sins upon him, and he became the substitute sacrifice payment 
for our sin. First John chapter 3, verse 16, uh, it says, We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. That is what characterizes our value of each other, is the standard by which or the measure by which Jesus, the Son of God, placed his value upon us. And so it doesn't change. We are to reflect that um, just as Christ also loved you. What's what's interesting is that Paul loves to make this uh, personal. In other words, it's not just objective, uh, you know, God loved the world, but now it uh, focuses. It focuses upon you. God so loved you. Christ loved you you and gave himself up for us. And Paul, of course, wants to include himself now. That's the reason why he shifts the pronouns around. He wants them to know that this is personal. He also wants them to know he is included in this personal offering and in Jesus giving himself as an offering. So that's the value of his love for us is he gave himself up for us an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. This is what Jesus did for us. It was voluntary. It was substitutionary. And uh, that means he went to the cross. Philippians 2 verse 8 says he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's what he did. He surrendered himself to that punishment, not only on behalf of of. Uh, the the Roman government and the and the Jewish leadership at the time that uh, surrendered him over to the Roman government for this kind of execution, but he gave himself over to the Father so that the Father judged him with our sin. Uh, Galatians chapter two verse twenty says, "And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up." For me, First uh, Timothy chapter two verse six, who gave himself as a ransom for all, and uh, later on in this book, in chapter five and verse twenty-five of First, uh, First uh, that is of uh, the book of Ephesians, Paul says uh, about husbands. He says, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, and so it is through Jesus's death on the cross. He is our substitute. Um, Romans uh, chapter 3 says he's our propitiation. That means he's he went there on our behalf and he satisfied the law of God and its judgment against sin. And he did it by shedding his own blood, by dying for us. He paid the price. It was substitutionary. It was voluntary. And he, uh, he offered it to God. Uh, you see, it, this is not a new thing. The picture has been uh, there all along. Uh, the uh, the pre-typical uh, kind of thing was there from the beginning. Uh, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his, and his wife and clothe them, uh, if I can just get the words right. And uh, that means that when Adam and Eve sinned against God, then God offered them garments of skin rather than their own olive branches and their own leaves that they tried to construct to uh, hide their embarrassment and hide their shame. Uh, Instead, uh, if they if uh, they received these garments of skin, they could continue their fellowship with God. And uh, even though it wasn't wouldn't continue in the garden, but they sh- could still 
find forgiveness. What does that mean? It means the very first animal sacrificed was an innocent victim. They didn't sin. They didn't commit the things that Adam and Eve did, but God caused this innocent animal to shed its blood so that the skin of that animal could be used to cover Adam and Eve properly. Uh, Genesis chapter 5, verse 4, Abel on his part also brought the firstling of his flocks, uh, the firstling of his flock and of uh, uh, their fat portions, and the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. Why? Because Abel got the picture. Abel produced the picture by taking an innocent life and shedding its blood on his behalf. And that's all uh, pictured throughout the Old Covenant. And um, so it's through the death of, of uh, God's Son that we find ourselves reconciled, according to Romans chapter 5, verse 9. Uh, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 says, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So we are now, by his sacrifice, uh, made clean. And notice... Uh, what was God's response to this sacrifice to God that his own son offered to him as the payment, the substitutionary payment for our sin? It says that this sacrifice to God was a fragrant aroma. And this kind of uh, uh, description was used in the Old Testament in Genesis chapter 8, a, a soothing aroma. In Exodus chapter 29, at least three different times, it's described as a soothing aroma and offering by fire to the Lord. Uh, in Leviticus, uh, three different times in chapter one, it talks about a soothing aroma to the Lord. Psalm 141 verse two says, my, and may my prayer be counted as incense before you. So there is something about the aroma of this innocent life being sacrificed that it reproduced the same kind of aroma in God's nostrils, not that uh, God has nostrils or the sense of smell the way we do, but it is, it is a picture. It is a descriptive of um, what, uh, what God was satisfied with Jesus, his son, and what he did on our behalf. And that satisfaction means that Jesus's work on the cross in shedding his blood and dying as our voluntary substitute, innocent substitute, is sufficient. It was enough. He doesn't have to come back and re-die all over again. We don't have to reproduce his death in order to uh, to keep the the uh, the payment alive or keep the payment going or keep the payment constantly. Uh, instead, it was sufficient. It was enough to be paid once and once for all. And um, that's what perhaps made it so valuable in God's uh, in God's sight. And then it continues on about the contrast then that uh, we should be conducting ourselves as children of love rather than as uh, children of disobedience, because here comes the contrast. Uh, and that is verse three, but immorality or impurity or greed must not even be named among you. So it is a sad case that we look around perhaps within the the churches uh, to see pastors or deacons or Sunday school teachers or youth group leaders, and they have stumbled so greatly because they have allowed these things to be named among them, uh, such things as immorality. That word immorality, by the way, um, 
is the Greek word porneia. It's where we get the term for pornography. And uh, um, that means everything that is illicit or wrong sexual relationships. And it really doesn't matter what it is. Uh, it's just a general term uh, that, uh, that there is uh, these relationships that just shouldn't even be named among us. It shouldn't be a part of our thought life. It shouldn't be a part of what someone else can accuse us of. And it says impurity, uh, which means uncleanness. That means defilement or pollution to our moral life. And uh, that's another uh, thing that, uh, that, that we should be free from so that uh, we can live our life honoring God's principles of marriage, principles of sexuality, principles of gender, principles of, of uh, the things that involve uh, God's holiest work, and that is the work of uniting a man and a woman and the, the two becoming one flesh. And so that should not be violated. It shouldn't be polluted in any way. And uh, also it shouldn't be polluted uh, in any regard with greed, which not, must not be named among you. And uh, so this is a part of a standard for, for anyone in the churches that we should not be uh, characterized as being greedy people. And yet uh, that is also one of the things that uh, perhaps characterize many of our churches, that, uh, that uh, those who, who attend think that uh, somehow the churches are just after my money. And uh, that should not even be named among us, that uh, we're after anybody's money. That is... Uh, uh, how far we have uh, we have adopted and uh, strayed from these instructions from Peter. It says then, uh, as as is proper among saints, we should live as those who are holy. In verse four, it says, and there must be no filthiness or silly talk or coarse jesting. And this is talking about those those things that we find humorous that have that shouldn't be humorous. That's what he's talking about. There are things that that uh, fall into the category of this, this pornographic kind of language or this uh, corrupted kind of language about sexuality and gender. This shouldn't even be named among us, and it shouldn't be a part of our humor. And that's what it says there in verse 4, or coarse jesting. That's what he's referring to there. And it says, uh, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. And so he continues on in verse 5 by saying that, uh, for this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man. Again, these things are rehearsed with new language and new words here in verse 5, but it's still resulting in the same uh, exhortation. It says, who is an idolater? Covetousness is a type of idolatry, according to uh, uh, Paul, the author of Ephesians here. And so, so he says that uh, uh, has... Uh, but none of these people uh, has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God, uh, but rather we should be giving thanks. That should be the things that characterize us. Uh, by, the word, by the way, that word for giving thanks is the original word in the Greek. It's Eucharista, uh, and that, that refers to uh, uh, what some people call uh, the communion, is, is the Eucharist. And yet the, the term itself actually comes from thanksgiving and giving of thanks, Eucharistia. And um, so that's part of what should characterize us isn't is the uh, the idea of thanksgiving not this this uh, joking around with the things that are that are impure or 
or defiled or uh, covetousness, but rather the things that, that reflect our inheritance of Christ and God and his kingdom. Father, I thank you that your words are strong, your words are true, and they speak to our hearts. And I pray that you would continue to do your work in us to make us the people that live according to the Spirit of God within us, to the family of God around us, and to the Father God who has made us a part of his family and placed us in Christ that our lives would reflect and would honor the very things that Jesus himself values. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. I hope you enjoyed our presentation today. This is Glendale Tony. Join us again for the next episode of Feeding the Flock. <laughs>